Um, about five years ago, uh, Sid and I met a, a dear man who came to our house, and he was with um, home health care. And my daddy was living with us at the time. He had gotten to the point where he needed extra help. And in walks this man, a little bit difficult to understand, but we, we got through that. And he turned out to be just an angel. My dad fell in love with him. We fell in love with him. He became kind of one of the family with us uh, after my dad passed. Uh, Saber continued to come over to our house every Monday morning for uh, prayer around the table that several of the um, caregivers continued to join us for prayer, and it was just it was just beautiful. And that was the start of a beautiful friendship. Uh, of late, the past few months, Saber has been coming to our church, and he has been sitting over here with Sid and I. Um, I want to tell you just a little bit about him. He's from Iran, and his native tongue is Persian, and he was raised Muslim. He comes from a family of five children uh, to his parents, and they are all Muslim now. And Saber moved over here around, was it 11 years ago, 11, 12 years ago, or longer than that? Oh, okay. Okay, and, and he started asking questions about Christ. And he was invited by friends to go to churches, and he began to listen and to be touched and to be drawn to God to the point where he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Is that awesome? I was asking him if, if any of his siblings are Christian or any in his family, and he says no. And it is just, it, it's such a great time to share this with you because we've been sharing stories of transformation, right, over Lent season, and the idea that God can reach anybody, anywhere, and transform a life. And we are just so thankful for Saber. I'm going to ask him to come up. He's going to read our scripture this morning in his Persian Bible. And uh, you don't have to, to understand Persian. You can cheat and look at the screen and read it in English. But I do want to ask him to say his last name because there's no way I could have said it. Hello, everybody. My name is Saber. My last name is Nuri Shokri. And Kathy asked me to share part of my journey from the Islam to Christianity. As I told her, <clears throat> in Christianity, we have a unique relationship. I didn't see in the Islam. In the Islam, you have to do a lot of law, do this, do this, do that, to please the God. But they don't have the grace. In Christianity, God, <clears throat> by the Jesus, fill up that gap between us and him. Amen. So we have now 
direct connection with Jesus and God. But in the Islam, I didn't have that experience. I read part of the scripture in my language. I hope you enjoy it. Would you stand for the reading? <laughs> Peter first, one in three to nine. آزمایش ایمان سپاس بر خدا باد بر خدا که پدر خداوند ما عیسی مسیح است. او به سبب لطف بیپایان و عظیم خود ما را از سر نو مولد ساخت و عضو خانواده خود گردانید. از این رو ما اکنون به امید حیات جاوید زنده ایم. زیرا مسیح نیز پس از مرگ به زندگی بازگشت. خدا نیز برای شما میراثی به دور از فساد و آلودگی و تباهی در آسمان نگاه داشته است. یعنی زندگی جاویدان را. و از آنجا که به خدا توکل و اعتماد کرده اید، او نیز با قدرت عظیم خود شما را به سلامت به آسمان خواهد رسان تا این ارث را دریافت کنید. بله، در روز قیامت شما وارث حیات جاودان خواهید شد. پس حال که چنین ارثی در پیش دارید، واقعا شاد باشید. حتی اگر لازم باشد در این دنیا برای مدتی سختی ها و زحمات را متحمل گردید. این سختی ها به منظور آزمایش ایمان شما پیش می آید. همینطور که آتش نیز طلا را می افضاید و پاک می سازد. ایمان شما پس از آنکه وارد کوره آزمایش گردید و سالم بیرون آمد سبب خواهد شد که در روز بازگشت عیسی مسیح مورد تحسین و تنجید و تکریم قرار گیرد. The word of God for the people of God and we all say thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you so much Saber. If you have not met Saber, make sure you do that tonight. If you ever have a chance to talk to him about Islam, he, it is fascinating. He is a wonderful resource and a wonderful Christian man. I want to tell you that I did not talk to Toby before uh, she talked tonight. And uh, we can probably just say amen because she stole my sermon. <laughs> so... Amen. We'll see y'all next week. No, I, I tell you what, um, what Toby said, what Kelly said in her prayer, it just goes to show you how the Holy Spirit works all these things together. Um, so tonight, we're going to continue Easter, Toby. Um, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. So Easter Sunday was last week, and it was a beautiful celebration, wasn't it? Some of the kids dressed up, and it, everyone just seemed to be in such a great spirit. Somebody did a great job with, with all the uh, decorations over at the ark. Uh, my favorite was that gigantic basket that had like a million colored eggs in it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Who made that anyway? Oh, Carla, you did amazing. We, yeah. <laughs> and most of our kids went home with a candy coma. Uh, but we knew how to celebrate the resurrection, right? And our, our community, is this fair to say that our community knows how to party? So do we stop 
partying because we have reduced our celebration of Easter to one day. Well, first of all, let's correct that because Easter is not one day. It's a season. And our culture is used to holidays, but the Christian calendar, and we follow, TNC follows the Christian calendar. It's set up to observe seasons because we need time to linger in these realities. Take a look at this. The Christian calendar defines Advent as a season. Christmas is not one day. Christmas is 12 days. Lent is 40 days leading up to the death of Christ, a time of preparation and fasting and repentance. And look, if we spend 40 days walking in the darkness, then Easter is 50 days of walking in the light, 50 days of celebrating that the tomb is empty and that there's new life and new hope. So Easter started last Sunday and will continue for a total of 50 days leading all the way up to Pentecost, which is the global church's birthday when Christ gave his spirit to the church. Uh, After Easter last week, I went to Walgreens on Monday to pick up a birthday card. And all the Easter cards that had been out were removed, and what was in the place was Mother's Day. So this is our culture that we zoom through these holidays to the next. And as a result, we don't have the time to process and reflect. So what are the implications of the resurrection for how we live today. And here's what I want to contend tonight. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago, our lives ought to be permeated by hope. Now, permeate means to totally fill. It means to seep through. I'll give you an example. I had an early morning um, errand last week, and when I came back home, Sid had been cooking bacon in the kitchen. And when I walked in the front door, the air was permeated with the smell of bacon. Uh, You know what I mean? Yeah, and by the way, there is no other food that tastes as good as bacon, right? But that's what I mean by permeate. If I took a sponge and I put it in a bowl of water and I squeezed out all the air and I let it just suck in all the water and I pulled it up and it's dripping, we, we would say that that sponge is permeated with water. In the same way, Our lives should be permeated by hope because Jesus was raised from the dead. So here's what Peter said and and what Saber read while ago. Uh, 1 Peter 1.3, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope simply means not giving up. It's, it's this belief, but it's even stronger than belief. It's a conviction, but it's even stronger than a conviction. It is confidence that God will come through, that God is who he says he is, right? 
And this hope, this hope that, that hopefully we permeate in our lives, it's rooted in Christ's resurrection because it appeared that all was lost when Christ died on the cross. And there's something about Good Friday that's just really sad to think that we leave the church and go home and Jesus is still on that cross. It, it appears almost on a Friday that evil is triumphant, that it has won. And all the dark powers of this world conspired together to put Christ on the cross. And when he died, it appeared that all hope was lost. But that was Friday, and Sunday's a-coming, as Tony Campolo used to always say. For you movie buffs, there was a movie that came out in 1957, an old, old black and white, <clears throat> called The Seventh Seal. And it was pretty big at the time that it came out. And there's a story about it when it, was, when it first came to New York City uh, for the first screening that Bobby Fischer was in the audience. How many, of, we're going to show our age, how many of you know who Bobby Fischer is? Okay, very good, more than I thought. Bobby Fischer had just won the world championship in chess, and some believe that he is the greatest chess player that has ever lived. So this movie is built around the story of a medieval king who's playing a game of chess against death or the prince of darkness. And all through the film, they're making moves on the chessboard. And then in the last scene, the prince of darkness makes a move on the chessboard, looks up at the knight and says, checkmate. And with that, the curtain goes down and the movie's over. And it's reported that Bobby Fischer, sitting in the audience, turned to his friend and said, why is he giving up? Doesn't he see the pieces on the board? The king has one more move and he wins. The king has one more move. My friends, on Friday, it looked like everything was over. It appeared that all was lost. It looked like the darkness of the world had triumphed. It appeared that sin, death, and darkness, and the devil had won. But the king had one more move. Christ was raised from the dead, and in doing so, sin was overcome. The devil was defeated, and death met his own death. Do you see what Peter means when he says that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can have living hope. Maybe you've been battling something in your life. Maybe, maybe it is a sin that you just feel like you are totally defeated. You feel like you can't overcome the temptation and that nothing is going to change. You need to know that because of this resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're not just forgiven of your sins, you are freed of your sins. Amen? You do not have to stay stuck in your sins. Christ can set you free. Maybe it's your marriage or, or work or broken relationships that you're dealing with right now. It's come to a point 
where you just say, there's no way it's going to work out. There's just too much history. There's too much pain in this situation. But let me tell you, if God raised his son from the dead, do you think that he can resurrect a relationship that appears to be dead? I hope to see you shaking your heads. Maybe it's someone in your family, maybe a brother or a sister or maybe one of your children, and they're going down a dark path and they've gotten into addiction. You don't have to, you don't know if they'll ever come back. You need to know that the king has one more move, right? This is the sort of living hope we have because of the resurrection. But I want to make the point that this hope isn't just for us as individuals. This isn't a a personal, just a personal hope. This is a global and even a cosmic hope. Let's look at what N.T. Wright says about this. I I thought this was so interesting. The early Christians did not believe in progress They did not think the world was getting better and better under its own steam. They knew God had to do something fresh to put it to rights. And neither did they believe that the world was getting worse and worse and that their task was to escape it altogether. They believed that God was going to do for the whole cosmos what he had done for Jesus at Easter And we look at our broken world, there are a lot of days when I get really down about what our world looks like. And as the early Christians did, do we look and see that God has one more move? Do we really believe that? God has one more move. The king has one more move. And his purpose is is to restore this world as it was in the day of the Garden of Eden. He wants to take all the brokenness and put it back together, and that is called shalom. Shalom is more than just peace, like we used to call it in the 60s. Shalom is bringing everything and putting it back to rights. Amen? You see what that means. It's the meaning of resurrection has just gotten a lot bigger. Hundreds of years before Christ came, the Old Testament prophets were saying this. Listen, I just love this. Look, we live in a world that is broken and distorted, but God has not given up on his creation. And there is coming a day when he will act so powerfully that it's going to turn things around. Do we carry that same living hope as the prophets in the Old Testament? God is going to do something so fresh and so clean that it's eventually going to lead to the renewal of all things. Everything that got distorted back in the Garden of Eden is going to be redeemed in the end. And God wants to heal the cosmos to its very edges. Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, this is one of the prophets, Isaiah, describing the great renewal that is to come. And it's so descriptive. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the goat, 
the calf and the line and the yearling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow will feed the bear, their young shall lie down together, and the line shall eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hands into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, wolves and lambs normally don't lie down together. In fact, wolves normally eat the lambs. And children don't naturally go over to play with cobras. So this, this verse is so poetic and so beautiful. And it has this beautiful way of saying that those who were formerly enemies will now be friends. That when this great revival begins, that when God's kingdom comes where there was hostility, there will now be peace and shalom. That ought to get our juices flowing, right? That living hope that we don't have to sit there and be down. We don't have to be depressed about this world because we know the king has one more move. Now, let me show you something in the beginning of the uh, Mark's gospel that I found quite interesting. This is right after Jesus was baptized in the first chapter. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Now, what an odd detail that he was in the desert and he was with wild animals. Why do you think Mark includes that? Well, the early church father said this verse is the fulfillment of Isaiah 11, the verse that we just read earlier. The wolf dwelling with the lamb, the cow feeding the bear, Jesus is going to bring shalom through his death and resurrection. Do you know where we see the first evidence of this after the resurrection? It's in the church. Read the book of Acts. You've got Jews and Gentiles breaking bread and sharing meals. Those who were formal, formerly enemies are now friends. You've got men and women worshiping together. Those were formerly separated, and now they're brought together. You've got the wealthy and the poor sitting at the same table. You've got slave masters referring to their former slaves as brothers. And the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. What do you think is happening here every week as we share this table of communion? And in our community, we have Republicans and Democrats, we have progressive and conservative people when it comes to politics. Texas also has a a long, painful racial history, and yet here we have Latino, black, and white worshiping together. We have people from all different socioeconomic backgrounds. We have fans from Texas A&M, UT, Texas Tech. And you know what? None of that matters when we come to this table, right? None of that matters. The only thing that matters is the resurrection 
that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that's what we share at the table. So, see if you're getting this, this, this new life that we're talking about, this, this new life, this great renewal. It begins in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then it spreads to the community formed around Jesus who placed Christ in the center. And so they have this new life, and we have the new life in TNC's community. We, we have this new life. We live differently from our culture. We live with this hope. And because of this, it begins to spill out into other areas places we work, it begins to spill out into the cities that we live in. And because the implications of the resurrection are as wide and vast as creation itself, God wants to redeem everything that was distorted back in the garden. Human relationships with God, their relationships to one another, how they function in the world, the systems they live under. God wants to redeem all of that. And God's plan is for us as individuals to practice resurrection. We talk a lot about practicing solitude, practicing silence, practicing prayer. We don't talk a lot about practicing resurrection. So what do we mean exactly by practicing resurrection? I love Eugene Peterson's uh, description of this. The resurrection life is a practice. It's not something we practice like practicing musical scales or practicing our golf swing. It is practice in the more inclusive sense in which we say a physician has a practice, work that defines both his or her character and work day. Physicians don't practice on sick people. They enter the practice of healing This is the sense in which we practice resurrection. We engage in a life that is permeated by the presence and companionship of the resurrected Jesus in the company of friends. I just love that description. Practicing resurrection means living a life that is permeated by the resurrected Christ. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, and I love, I've always loved this scripture, We are the aroma of Christ. God uses us to spread his fragrance. And, you know, I love it. Some some people you can meet and immediately tell that they are sold out to Christ. And they have that sweet aroma of Christ. Practicing resurrection means living with a hope that says that God can overcome any amount of of darkness, any amount of brokenness, any amount of death, nothing is unredeemable. Can I hear a hearty amen? Start asking the question, what would resurrection, resurrection look like here in our workplace, in, on your school campus, in your own neighborhood, in your own home with your family? out on the weekends with your friends. And here's what Jesus tells us in John 16. In this world, you're going to have trouble. 
but take heart, I have overcome the world. He says, know that you're going to have these struggles, know that you're going to have these surprises that you don't like, but I'm going to be with you, and I have overcome the world. There's no power that can thwart my work. Here's what the resurrected Jesus says in Revelations 21. Behold, I make all things new. I want to share with you that this past week has been really difficult for our family. I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I will have surgery this coming Thursday. This sermon is for me, guys. This sermon is for me because what I preach, I believe. What I say about having the resurrection alive in my life is so important. And we all need that because we know that there are going to be surprises ahead of us. And then in, there's Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 who says that what God has done in raising his son from the dead, he promises to do it for all of creation. God is putting the world back to rights. He's healing his broken creation. In 1998, I was the ripe old age of 47 when I went uh, skydiving. And I think I've shared that story with you guys before. It was the first time I ever did it, and it was the last time I ever did it. <laughs> and, and I can tell you, I can remember that as if it were yesterday, the feelings welling up. I can tell you all about it. I can tell you how walking to the plane and getting on that plane and going up there thinking, I can't do this. I'm going to do this. I can't do this. And then I, I can tell you what it was like to look outside the plane, and then just to fall. I can tell you what it was like to go 120 miles an hour until the parachute opened and I lost my breath. I can tell you as the parachute came a calm, looking down on earth and seeing it as I had never seen it before, I can tell you all of that, but until you experience it yourself, you will never understand and that's the same as experiencing the resurrection, coming to Christ, giving him your all, your body, your soul, your mind. What do you think is happening every week when we share communion, when we as a family come around and partake of the elements of Christ? What do you think? This is a time, a family time. This is a time to renew ourselves in Christ. This is a time to say Easter was last week, but man, it was also Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I am going to celebrate the resurrection from here until Pentecost. Not just Pentecost. I'm going to celebrate the resurrection for the rest of my life. Amen? It's not enough to just merely hear about Jesus and to hear the story of his resurrection. You have to jump in with both feet, your whole self, everything about you. Let me end this story with a story. Uh, let me end this sermon with a story. The South Pacific Islands are in New Zealand, 
including Fiji. It's a cluster of islands. And the Pacific Islanders in general were very warlike people. There was a lot of fighting between the rival islands and life was so tough. Those captured in battle didn't last long. They were smashed to pieces and parts of them were eaten because these people were cannibals. And it was into this violent, evil darkness that early missionaries were sent. And they had a tough time too. Some of them even ended up in the pot. And in the pagan temple on the chiefly island of Bayou, there was a huge stone that was referred to as the killing stone. And it was on this stone that the bodies of enemies were smashed to pieces and stained from blood had soaked the whole stone. The killing stone symbolized that in this society, killing people in brutal ways had become normal, a way of life, part of the tradition, part of the culture. The stone and its purpose had almost taken on a life of its own. As in so many other very difficult and dark places, it took the missionaries a long time to finally gain converts in Fiji and to challenge people, especially the chiefs, with the fact that some of their customs were wrong and evil and needed to be done away with. But eventually, Chief Kekaboth, the person in whose area the killing stone was located, became a Christian and thus began his journey away from brutal practices. The killing stone was removed from the temple and was placed inside the church right next to where people were baptized. For some, this may have seemed odd and even blasphemous, but for the missionaries, it was a declaration that in the power of God, that which was used for evil purposes had now been transformed and made into a place where people were baptized and committing their lives to God Almighty. You see, that killing stone now represents transformation. It now represents shalom, where God has brought the culture back to reconciliation with himself. Do you believe that God can resurrect that sort of people in our own life? And if we are practicing resurrection, can God use us to resurrect our cities of Garland, Forney, Mesquite, Richardson, Dallas, Isn't that what we are trying to do with our efforts for dinner church down at the rock? I love what Philip Yancey writes referring to the resurrection. He's talking about the disciples who followed Jesus. The disciples who lived through both days, Friday and and Sunday, never doubted God again. 
They had learned that when God seems most absent, he may be the closest of all. And when God looks most powerless, he may be most powerful. When God looks most dead, he may be coming back to life. They had learned never to count God out. Amen? The resurrection is for you to take it everywhere that you go. We should permeate every aspect of your life with the hope of Jesus Christ. It is living with belief, conviction, and confidence. So when Peter says that we have been born into a living hope through the resurrection, it means that you and I can live with this hope that God has not given up on this world. No matter how much brokenness you see around you, no matter how dark things get, we have reason to hope because we know that God has not given up on the world but is at work healing it and restoring it. God is bringing the world back to the right. So let me end by the way that we started. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you pray with me? All praise and glory to you, O God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In your great mercy, you have given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have taken what we might even call the killing stone of our own lives and have transformed it into what is beautiful. We thank you for your plan of redemption for all peoples of the world. We thank you that you gave your only son to die for each of us, and we thank you that you raised your only son from the dead so that we can permeate with hope. Help us to continue to live with the resurrection, practicing it in our lives and in the life of our church. Let us look forward to the shalom in our world that only you can bring. We have so much to be thankful for. And it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we ask these things. Amen. Uh, let's receive our benediction. The Spirit longs to reveal how near he is to you. He longs to make you more aware of his manifest presence. He longs to lead you, speak to you, fill you, satisfy you, heal you, set you free, and empower you. He longs for your heart to find freedom and security in him. He longs to be your best friend, companion, and teacher. Receive what the Holy Spirit has for you. Go in peace.